Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Stripe tap-to-pay on iPhone came along and changed everything. With Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. No more juggling different methods. Just a simple tap on my iPhone and transactions are complete. What's truly remarkable is how Stripe caters to all my customers' preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Stripe ensures a smooth checkout experience every time. Setting up Stripe was a breeze, taking just minutes to get up and running. From local markets to global retailers, Stripe helped me expand my reach and grow my business with ease. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. Thanks to everyone who supports Daily Tech News Show directly. To find out more and get some perks, head to dailytechnewsshow.com slash support. This is the Daily Tech News for Tuesday, September 4th, 2018 in Los Angeles. I'm Tom Merritt. I'm Jen Cutter. And from the edges of the L.A. Empire... And now, recently, actually, I'm, a, I'm a, I was already Just a dad. Get through it. <laughs> I'm my name is Roger. I'm the producer of the show. Uh, Sarah Light is uh, is not here today. She's off, uh, but she will be back tomorrow. We're very happy to have Jen with us uh, filling in. It's great to have Roger back too. Uh, and thanks to Amos uh, for filling in last week. Real quickly, Roger, how's the new baby? Uh, it's alive. That's Good it. Start. Okay. No, that's that's a very positive thing to to have happen. I know they really don't do much at this point other than be alive. She's healthy. She's yeah. good. That's she- good. That's good. That's good. All right. Let's start with a few tech things you should know. IDC's estimates of the wearables market are good news for pretty much everybody, uh, with a 5% rise in the total market for wearables in Q2. A decline in fitness trackers is slowing, uh, and sales of smartwatches is making up the difference. Apple raised its market share 4% to keep the top spot. Xiaomi took second, followed by Fitbit. Huawei and Garmin in that order. 46.6% of wearable shipments, however, comes from outside the top five. So it's still anybody's game. Uh, Major market growth happened in Asia Pacific, Latin America, Central Eastern Europe, and Middle East and Africa. So it's also a worldwide market. Samsung's DJ Co. told CNBC it's time to deliver a foldable smartphone since surveys show consumers want one. Coast said development was complicated but nearly concluded and implied an announcement might happen at the Samsung Developer Conference in November in San Francisco. So, yes, those pictures aren't fake. Uh, Amazon (laughs) has launched a version of its site in Hindi. Indian shoppers can switch between English and Hindi. Those are the two official languages of of India. Uh, You go to the top left menu of the mobile site or the Android app. There's no word on when or if it's coming to iOS or the desktop. Around 44% of people in India speak Hindi, and the New York Times sources say Amazon Amazon's also planning rollouts in Bengali, Tamil, Kannada, and Telugu. Microsoft is rolling out a refreshed Outlook as part of the coming soon feature in Outlook for Windows and an opt-in feature for the web version of Outlook. The updates include revamped UI that's more consistent with other Office apps, intelligent highlights, 
visual changes and will come to the monthly channel and targeted release programs first. Mm, new looks so necessary. So many things. <laughs> uh, yeah, let's talk a little more about a new look uh, that Google has got going on. Google launched Chrome 69. Uh, across the platforms, Windows, Mac, Linux, Android, iOS, they all got it. The design has rounded shapes, a new color palette, simplified prompts and menus and tabs that make icons easier to see. That's a huge help for me in preparing for this show. Uh, the address bar, or as Google calls it, the Omnibox, can now give you answers to questions without needing to open a page. So if you're asking about an event or what the weather is or translations, you'll just get a little card pop up with the answer. There's also a more accurate autofill for addresses and the like. Chrome's password manager now tries to make you choose unique passwords for each site. And sites with HTTPS no longer show secure as a way of trying to make you realize that secure should be the default. Uh, they are going to start labeling HTTP sites as not secure as this rolls along. Uh, have you have you gotten the, the new update yet? You can kind of force it to happen or you, it may kind of roll out over the next yeah. day or two. I tried to force it this morning. I've still got the old school look here. Uh, there was one feature I want that they didn't talk about. I want a way to not autoplay GIFs everywhere. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's, like, that's like the one thing I want. Like all this other stuff is great and cool, even though I'm not huge on rounded edges, but I know everyone's doing it. I got it this morning on, on my laptop that I prepped the show on. And I... I when you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. The Claude 3 model family from Anthropic is your one-stop shop for enterprise AI. With models at every point on the price-performance curve, you no longer have to make trade-offs between intelligence, speed, and cost. Claude 3 Opus sets new industry benchmarks for intelligence. Sonnet strikes the perfect balance between skills and speed. And Haiku is the fastest and lowest-cost model in the market, perfectly designed for high-volume, high-speed use cases. Join the thousands of enterprises who trust Anthropic to keep them at the frontier. Visit Anthropic.com slash Claude today. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then Stripe tap to pay on iPhone came along and changed everything. With Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. No more juggling different methods. Just a simple tap on my iPhone and transactions are complete. What's truly remarkable is how Stripe caters to all my customers' preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Stripe ensures a smooth checkout experience every time. Setting up Stripe was a breeze, taking just minutes to get up and running. From local markets to global retailers, Stripe helped me expand my reach and grow my business with ease. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, Visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. Like you was like, I don't know if I want a big design change. It's subtle. It's really subtle. Uh, it basically just takes away the the sort of V shape of the tabs. Mm -hmm. And the tabs are now just right next to each other, except for the active tab, which has that nice like 
chamfered edge <laughs> looking <laughs> uh, thing. But but the the icons definitely do pop out better now uh, in this new design. So I, I do like it for that. Uh, the rest of it is all stuff I, I expected uh, and uh, I, I'm sure will come in handy. I did not try out the Omnibox asking questions. I'm a little skeptical because usually the top thing that comes up on Google when I ask questions is only actually what the answer I was looking for about 50% of the time these days. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then that might also mess with people like me who I have it generally set to like Wiki or Merriam-Webster depending on what I'm working on at the time. So. Yeah, yeah. Well, what else is going on? Let's see. The European Union has reached a preliminary agreement on rules to require streaming services to carry at least 30% European-made content in their libraries. Individual countries can mandate up to 40% and require a minimum of that amount be made in their specific country. Surcharges on subscription fees can also be levied to pay into national film funds. Netflix already does this in Germany, and a vote is expected to pass and the rules become law in December. Companies will have 20 months from then to apply the rules. So the, I know Canada's uh, um, CRTC is is going through this, this same sort of uh, deal where broadcasters have had requirements for locally originated programming uh, for a long time. Uh, and this is the European Union saying we are absolutely going to apply this to streaming companies. What's interesting is Netflix is already about at 30% as it is. Uh, it'll be interesting, though, to see because... France, Croatia, you know, all all the countries can make their own requirements if that will cause problems. Because if, you know, I don't know, if Croatia decides to make uh, 40% uh, requirement in Croatia be European and 90% of that has to be Croatian, uh, that's going to change the flavor of the Netflix <laughs> profile quite a bit. Definitely. In Canada, they kind of sidestep the tech, the usual CRTC process by saying, look, just we're going to give you guys 400 million and spend it in different sort of ways. Than <laughs> Don't spend it like on one strict, film. Then going through like the, the strict kind of uh, way that the other broadcasters around here have to adhere by. So even though I think it's going to be especially messy in the European Union for a bit, I think three years from now, it's going to be fascinating to see the academic studies that come out to see how this has affected regional productions around the world. Because I believe strongly in these kind of initiatives to having these cultures represented in content. So you can see yourself, you can see your culture. And I love when these things get exported and I get to watch these tiny shows from other nations. So I'm kind of excited. There's an argument that you didn't need this because of the way Netflix is going, but I I do agree with you that the variety of programming you get because of these sorts of initiatives is great. I mean, look at what Netflix has done already on its own with Japanese programs and Indian programs and German programs and Brazilian programs uh, that we all have access to internationally and wouldn't have otherwise. I, I think that's the coolest thing about this is, is not only that it it helps foster creativity within a market, but then because of the way Netflix does its business, it allows us to all to benefit from it worldwide. Coming out of the five-country ministerial meeting last week, governments of the U.S., U.K., Canada, Australia, and New Zealand issued a statement of principles on access to evidence and encryption. A lot of debate about what actually is meant by any of this. The statement maintains that privacy laws are needed to prevent arbitrary or unlawful interference, but that privacy is not absolute. Okay. The statement acknowledges that encryption may make access to information impossible, But such instances (laughs) should be rare. 
The statement further calls that technology companies should voluntarily work to achieve lawful access, but doesn't explicitly call for back doors. It's like every time you think it's either a good or a bad thing, there's a but that flips it on its head. Uh, They also say it's not a one-size-fits-all technology solution. If impediments to lawful access remain, the Five Eyes country stated they may pursue technological, enforcement, legislative, or other measures to gain access. I don't know about you, Jen, but this whole thing struck me as we want to say a thing, but we also realize this is a really tough problem. So we're going to say all the things and not have any solutions. I think we're only really going to hear about this thing when somebody shows up at DEF CON and says, and here are all the back doors that have been there all along. Well, what I will say about this statement is it does say, like, we don't mean back doors. We we understand that privacy is important, but we want to have our cake and also have eaten it. Would somebody please solve that? Could you make it so that we will have eaten the cake, but it still sits on a plate in front of us? That's the problem we're trying to solve, technology, and we need your help. And we'll pass a law to make it that if you don't help us figure this out. Yeah, so I want a staircase that goes up and down, and I want it to connect at both ends. And it's, uh, guys, guys. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, I will, I will try to be positive and say the fact that they included all of the things that are true about privacy and backdoors in the statement, while still saying, "But we want all of this <laughs> other stuff," is in fact some sort of odd progress. I'll, I'll give them that. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Microsoft has added another chapter to the long-running redesign of Skype. A long, long-running redesign of Skype. This time, removing the Snapchat-like highlights feature that was implemented last year. The redesign will instead focus on what people actually use Skype for, specifically voice calls, video calls, and messaging. The redesigned desktop app will move chats, calls, contacts, and notifications into the main upper-left navigation panel. Yeah, this is really interesting uh, because... They're quickly backpedaling on something that proved unpopular with a large segment of its audience. They are definitely acting as if they were surprised that it was unpopular, (laughs) uh, which I think is becoming a more common thing as companies are able to listen more but can't listen to everyone. Uh, That they did some focus groups that didn't include the folks like us who use Skype for certain things and that got left out. Uh, So hopefully this is going to improve that sort of listening. But I like what Microsoft's doing, saying what was really important about this change, honestly, was the code base. Uh, We're we're doing some some Java. We're doing some React. It's going to be a shared code across mobile and desktop platforms so that we can implement things like end-to-end encryption easier because we can implement them in the shared code base and we don't have to redo it five times. That's all the important stuff. And the only thing that got attention was these Snapchat-like things that nobody <laughs> liked. And so they're like, great, we'll get rid of those. That wasn't the important part of this this new version of Skype anyway. Yeah, if they could fix the uh, Skype for business, then they'll have a lot of even more happier people. But that's yeah. kind of like a rebranded link, so that's a whole Yeah, well, myth. and that's the idea is this Skype for life, as it's called, is, is supposed to be the replacement for everything. Uh, and and that, that obviously uh, upset a lot of people who wanted to use the old Skype. They're not saying that you'll still be able to use the old Skype forever, but they are going to leave the old version of Skype operational until they've made the new version that has the shared code base feature complete so that there you won't lose any of those features, like being able to have multiple windows open when you have, want to have multiple chats and calls going on. A report in the New York Times shows revenue growing at traditional retailers. Re- yeah, revenue growing at brick-and-mortar retails. You heard me right. 
consumers are spending more money in physical stores. Number of stores closing has slowed. Yes, we just had Toys R Us go belly up. Uh, but the number of those instances, the borders of the world, uh, that is finally slowing down. We've had fewer store closings to date than we did at the same date last year. The number of stores closing slowed uh, has partially been attributed to stores like Target, Nordstrom, and Walmart working to make their in-store shopping easier and integrating it with a good online service. Target has a decent shopping service. Walmart has greatly improved its online shopping service. So they have features like picking up mobile orders in the parking lot, dropping off returns without needing to talk to a clerk. Uh, you just slap a label on it, dump it in a box at Nordstrom's. Uh, personal shoppers at Walmart that can select your groceries and then just bring them out to you on the curb. Uh, I, I love this story because it's one of the things that I have been thinking was going to happen for a long time. I just didn't know when, which was we're not going to lose all the stores. It's that the stores who figure out how to play in this new online world and leverage the advantage of a physical location are going to end up being even better uh, as places to shop. And that seems to be what's happening. Yeah, a, a lot of the stuff I have not seen locally in Canada because a lot of these stores aren't here. But I have definitely spent more money in physical stores lately than I have online by an exponential amount. Now, my shopping starts online. But because these companies like Walmart, for example, have gotten so much better about their inventory tracking, I look for what I want. It tells me which stores around here have it. And then I just go and get it. There's no waiting. There's no shipping costs. I'm I'm going to jump in here as someone who frequents both the online and brick and mortar uh, marketplaces. Uh, I have to say the one thing that really turned things around for a lot of stores, at least that I that I patronize, is price matching. Best Buy, Fry's, a few a uh, few others off the top of my head will go and say, hey, you can get this particular product, whether it's a hard drive or whatever. We will price match it if it is from Amazon.com. In other words, if it's being sold directly by Amazon and it's like, you know, one ninety nine instead of the you know normal price of two thirty, we will match that price, and I will go to the store and buy it because I want it now. I don't want to wait two days because I need you know, if if my laptop's on the fritz or something, I need to fix it immediately. That's been a big part of Best Buy's turnaround uh, was was price matching, but but the other part is making it pleasant to go to a store again. Uh, up up until the 2000s, the idea with retail was make people spend a lot of time in your store so they accidentally pick up other things they didn't know about. But that's an unpleasant situation for you as a consumer, which is why if you can go to Amazon and just have it sent to you, a lot of people are like, yeah, that's much better than having to navigate that gargantuan big box store over there. So Target is actually making smaller stores. They're making them easier to find the things you want. It's It's ending up, you know, being one of those rare things these days, which is a positive effect of technology on the real world. Is is there any, Jen, are there any other uh, examples that you can think of uh, that are Canadian specific besides, yeah, I know you mentioned Walmart, but are, are there other chains up there that are doing things like this that are interesting? Uh, I've mostly been using it. Uh, so like the three stores that I've been shopping at, mostly Costco, which has their like local and online things right. separate depending on what you need walmart canadian tire and home depot are like the ones that have great inventory trackings like i need this and then also when you want to go to the store here is the aisle and like bin number you can find oh it. that's a yeah that's 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 amazing Makes things so much faster yeah. i can go in it's a speed run i go in get exactly what i want see how fast i can get out <laughs> are canadian tire bucks a cryptocurrency yet or has that not happened 
Uh, there's the you can get it all digital now, so you don't have to hoard okay. these stacks of money. Step down the road, I guess. <laughs> it's getting there. Uh, folks, if you want to get all the tech headlines each day in about five minutes, be sure to subscribe to DailyTechHeadlines.com. Let's take a little deeper dive into one of these stories. The 2018 Asian Games uh, finished up this weekend. They held esports tournaments as a demonstration. Now, if you're not familiar with the Asian Games, they are an Olympic-style uh, celebration. So Olympic-style physical sports, but they included esports this time as a demonstration. We've mentioned this before on the show. The hope is that esports will be a medal event in four years at the next Asian Games in China, and that maybe this will show that they should be considered for inclusion in the Olympics. Well, the president of the International Olympic Committee, Thomas Bach, was at the Asian Games and told the Associated Press, we cannot have in the Olympic program a game which is promoting violence or discrimination. So-called killer games. I've never heard anyone call it killer games, but all right, I get what he's talking about. Uh, they, from our point of view, are contradictory to the Olympic values and cannot therefore be accepted. Now, he did not specify which games he classifies as killer games. We'll get to that in a second. Don't forget, too, that Bach is a former gold medal fencer. <laughs> which fencing based on sword fighting seems kind of violent. But he said, and I think this is fair, of course, every combat sport has its origins in a real fight amongst people. But sport is the civilized expression of this. If you have games where it's about killing somebody, this cannot be brought into line with our Olympic values. And some people are mocking him for that, but I think that's fair. Like, fencers don't get to stab each other. That's an <laughs> important part of Olympic fencing, right? So the games that he was watching in the esports turning at Asian games that inspired him to say this about killer games were the following arena of valor clash royale hearthstone <laughs> league of legends pro evolution soccer and starcraft 2 most of those don't have killing or certainly like not the kind of killing that he seems to be implying of like you know shoot them up like call of duty type games yeah, like it wasn't Call of Duty, it wasn't Counter Strike, which is a huge esport, which right, also right. gets bandied about as a potential Olympic thing, except for the whole terrorist counter terrorist playing yeah, bombs yeah. thing. Uh, but yeah, the, the I, I feel like he's reacting more to the Jacksonville tragedy than the actual content of half of the games there <laughs> that's an interesting point they did acknowledge that uh the, the the folks who run the asian games uh said you know like hey we're we're very cognizant of this and and express their sympathies um but they said we think this is more of a violence and gun issue in the real world than it is a video game issue that, that was the official asian games line on it yeah it was a a, a very smart response to that uh for some other previous demonstration sports alongside uh, they've done uh, Forza, the racing game, mm -hmm. which makes sense. Uh, I always expect that at some point you'll see a fighting game in there because you have like actual judo and karate competitions and then where they actually kick people in the head versus the nobody gets kicked in the head except that, you know, you just see it happen on screen. Right. So I wonder like when they're going to get to that point, if or if that counts as part of the violence of the game, right. even though they get up next round and you can tell nobody died. Yeah. So so uh, the President Bach was, was speaking specifically of killer games. I'm, I'm assuming mm -hmm. he doesn't mean judo. I'm assuming he also doesn't mean pro evolution soccer um, yeah I, uh, I have to think that like the sport games are probably going to get a free pass uh, same yeah. with racing i i do think it's really interesting what you just brought up there's an argument back to him that says look 
people get concussions from boxing, from judo. Uh, it's dangerous. Wouldn't it be better if the Olympic sport of, of these, these games was a video game where no one could get hurt? I'm certain that people will be raising that argument. And then you also have situations like the NHL. So mm-hmm. NHL players were not playing in the last Olympics, but NHL is in esports is gaining some traction and also is sponsored by the NHL now. Yeah. What happens if that gets popular enough to make it now? Will will that be allowed in or will that be, again, a rights issue with the names? And you don't have the same insurance costs because no players are getting hurt in that sense. Like you have actual other kind of player injuries, but they're not concussion based. They're yeah. not career ending in that same sense. Well, and there, there is a whole conversation to be had. Some folks in our chat room uh, are having this conversation right now. But whether esports is, in fact, an Olympic sport, right? You mm-hmm. don't have auto racing in the Olympics because – and I'm not, not trying to step on auto racing fans' toes, but it, it doesn't fit the definition of, of, a, of the physical sport that the Olympics has decided to put out there. So I can see an argument along those lines to say, hey, it's a great competition. It's a great sport. It's not an Olympic sport. That would be fine, but that's not what Bach was saying. <laughs> we could have that discussion, but that's not he was saying the problem was these are killer games. And honestly, I mean League of Legends, Arena of Valor, Baby Clash Royale <laughs> are the only ones even close to that. And they're yeah. not and they're they're fantasy. So mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very hard to have a real world equivalent to that sort of match. You could make kind of some AR comparisons and possibly come up with some sort of real world fantasy playground that would be very expensive to put together, yeah. which would be really fun, but also still not an Olympic sport because that is very highly technical. But I don't know if I'm a former internationally competitive athlete and I chased the Olympics for many, many years. I also love video games and I've been reporting on them for most of my life. I don't know if I want these two worlds together. I think that the esports world is growing just fine on its own. It doesn't need the IOC. And uh, it's it's such a complicated thing. Like esports has reached its own legitimacy and does not need the approval of these other bodies anymore. Well, and I think that may be what the Olympics risks is pushing esports into making a decision that is good for esports and not so good for the Olympics, right? Um uh, you can argue, and I think I think you you, you sort of hit it on the head. Like it's not obvious that these belong in the Olympics and esports is doing fine on its own. A world cup of esports makes perfect sense, right? Uh, a world championship of esports, or uh, if not a world cup makes perfect mm-hmm. sense in some ways, to my mind, it makes more sense than including it in even the Asian games, certainly uh, if, if not the Olympics, because again, we don't, we don't have poker in the Olympics. So should we have hearthstone in the Olympics? And every esports has its own mega event. How do you throw something like the International mm-hmm. alongside something like Evo? These are different crowds with different time requirements for matches, with different qualifications. And so, like the International, like you're filling these stadiums endlessly, there's huge lines. How do you throw multiple events like that together? How do you manage the hotels? How do you get yeah, everybody yeah. in the same city? Like, the scale of this is so huge for each individual esport. How can you possibly throw like six of these events together at once? <laughs> you're going to wreck a city. <laughs> now, now you're starting to make me 
you're starting to influence me that maybe it is better as an Olympic sport, as an Olympic style thing, because mm-hmm. that's what the Olympics does. It says, well, we don't have one competition. We have track and we have swimming and we have multiple competitions in each of those. Esports isn't a sport. It's multiple sports. Maybe there needs to be an esports Olympics. It maybe shouldn't be part of the normal Olympics, but, but, but that, that scale that you're talking about, the only thing that's similar to it are the Olympics and things like the Commonwealth Games and the Asian Games, et cetera. Mm-hmm. But now you have the other issue of how do you divide the teams? Because right now each org is run by like its own little fiefdom kind right. of. You'd have to and have then it. for yeah. Overwatch, you have things that are based on a franchise system. But then for Counter-Strike, you have teams that are a little more distributed in some cases. Well, and you'd then- have national you'd have national committees for the eSports Olympics <laughs> that would pull their play, just like you do for hockey and <laughs> and, and swimming and, and everything. Like you're, a you're, lot of overhead that does not currently exist. <laughs> no, it's a lot of stuff that has to would have to be built. And that is a question of would it be worth it for eSports to do? Mm-hmm. Um, I do like the idea of an Olympics of esports. I think that's where I'm at. It's not a World Cup. You can have a World Cup for CS:GO. You can have a World Cup. You have the international already for Dota, right? You yeah. know, like that that exists. But maybe there should be like every four years a gathering of e athletes in one place <laughs> to ply their game of, of of favor, and it shouldn't be part of the international Olympics because it has different needs than 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 the the traditional physical sports. Anyway, let us know what you think, too, folks. Feedback at DailyTechNewsShow.com. Thanks to everybody who participates in creating the show, whether you support us on Patreon, uh, participate in our subreddit. You can submit stories and vote on them there at DailyTechNewsShow.reddit.com. Just talking with other people, telling people about it at Facebook.com slash group slash DailyTechNewsShow, for instance. Uh, All of the ways people help create the show are appreciated because we are a better show when you help us. Let's check the mailbag. Seems weird without Sarah here, but Kevin writes... I wanted to comment on Friday's discussion of 8K TVs from the perspective of somebody in the post-production side of content. Thanks mostly to streaming services like Netflix, we have begun to see more and more work getting finished at 4K. And I can tell you that even the leap from HD to 4K has been a headache for those of us who have to manipulate imagery or render 2D and 3D visual effects at that resolution. People think it's only a doubling of resolution, but in fact, it's a quadrupling of the pixel count. 1080p, 4K, and 8K would be approximately 2.1, 8.3, and 33.2 million pixels, respectively. The problem is CPUs and GPUs just haven't kept pace with this. I have a very capable workstation with a GeForce GTX 1080 Ti AMD Threadripper with 16 cores, 32 threads, 64 gigabytes of RAM, and a couple of terabyte NVMe drives, and I still have a lot of waiting involved with rendering shots. This is not to mention the source libraries artists use for all of this stuff needs to be upgraded to 4K content or higher. The promise of fast GPU rendering and software that takes better advantage of multiple cores will help, but it's not fully there just yet with a lot of software. And now they're talking about 8K. And it gave Kevin a headache. (laughs) He said, producing content at that resolution just isn't something that most people think or talk about, but people on the post-production side especially feel the pain. We are constantly fighting crazy deadlines. The time waste of everybody along the content production line gets stacked until the very end. And guess who has very little time left before the air date and has these long rendering times? Uh, Thank you, Kevin. That that is a a great analysis of the frustration of switching. I remember going from uh, standard def to HD at CNET. and, And it was a lot of these same frustrations that Kevin's talking about here. 
Oh, yeah. No, Kevin has all of my sympathy and love. <laughs> I can produce 4K content, but 8K, not even, not a chance. And yeah. not with all of the Bitcoin miners stealing all the good cards. Could Thankfully, not even afford to, to be try to do that. Abating, but yeah, absolutely. Well, Jen Cutter, thank you so much for being here. Uh, if folks want to find out what you're up to, where should they go? They should actually check my Twitter at Jen Cutter. That is Jen with two N's. And I have some really cool announcements coming next month. Oh, very, very exciting. I've been working with some other people and uh, it's going to come out soon. So check that out. It's Jen Cutter, J-E-N-N-C-U-T-T-E-R on Twitter. Uh, thanks to everybody who supports this show. Uh, we get better because you support us at patreon.com slash DTNS. Don't forget, uh, I'll be headed out of town. Uh, so a little bit of a different profile of the show. I'll be in Salt Lake City tomorrow with Scott Johnson. We'll be doing the show from his studio there. Thursday, I'll be in Chesterfield, Missouri. Uh, thanks to John, who's donating me some bandwidth there. I'll be at Greenville University on Friday, and I'm headed to Greenville for a meetup Friday, September 7th at 6 p.m. from 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. at the Family Vine Winery, 1349 Red Ball Trail in Greenville, Illinois. I know a few people have already said they're headed out there. Uh, So if you're in the area, come on out. We'll have the details in the show notes or in the monthly Patreon update that just went out this morning at patreon.com slash DTNS. Our email address is feedback at dailytechnewsshow.com. We're live Monday through Friday at 4.30 p.m. Eastern, 2030 UTC. You can find out more at dailytechnewsshow.com slash live. See you tomorrow from Salt Lake City with Scott Johnson. This show is part of the Frog Pants Network. Get more at frogpants.com. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs> Hi, this is Matt and Sean from Two Black Guys with good credit from a local business to a global corporation. Partnering with Bank of America gives your operation access to exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Visit bankofamerica.com slash banking for business to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America, N.A., copyright 2024. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love. And be confident that every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms.